Hey. All right, so I am now on the line with a Mr. Edgardo Camon. Hi, <laughs> <is> Terrence. <laughs> I am doing swell, sir. So if, if I am not mistaken, you are a percussionist, a vocalist, as well as a percussion instructor, a salsa singing teacher, a music teacher. You are a band leader with over 30 years of professional experience. You are also the band leader of the Salsa Orchestra Candela. In which you which released three albums, is that correct? Uh, four now. The first one was in vinyl in 1989, and three CDs after that. But okay. yeah, released publicly in the United States, three CDs. Okay, yeah. okay, sure enough, sure enough. Uh, I believe you are currently living in Oakland, California, which you were born in Uruguay, is that correct? Yeah, I, I live in, in Oakland. We play all over, all over, you know, different places in the United States, as well as internationally, but um, I was born and raised in Montevideo, Uruguay. That's correct. Yeah. Sure enough, sure enough, man. So I, I want to ask you, man. Um, you know, I've never been to Europe, man. So I, I would love to hear what was your childhood like growing up in Uruguay, man? Uh, growing up in Uruguay. Yes, sir. Oh well, growing up in Uruguay was great, man. I lived in Uruguay the first fourteen years of my life. And they set a foundation for me in many, 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 many ways. Uh, I had a great childhood. Uh, I, um, I had a bilingual education. I was uh, living four blocks from the beach. Um, and uh, a lot of music and not necessarily in my family that much, although my family, my family was a, a family that would enjoy, you know, dancing in parties and stuff like that. And, but, but, uh, the only that the only one that was a, a little bit of a musician was my older brother who played accordion, okay. uh, and uh, so and he was six years older than me. So like for instance, when I was about twelve, he was obviously eighteen. Yeah. And he was he was the one who was buying buying uh, albums, you know, the regular old the vinyl, right? The twelve-inch vinyl, vinyl albums, and. Uh, you know, he, he we we weren't necessarily into salsa uh, at that point. We were more like into traditional Uruguayan music, which we have a rhythm. We have a, a, a super percussive rhythm called candombe in Uruguay, which is irrelevant to to salsa for us. You know, it's, it's what to Uruguayans candombe is what rumba is to Cubans, or what uh, bomba and plena are to Puerto Ricans. So that's our main Afro-Uruguayan rhythm. So I grew up listening to that, but also a lot of American music, you know, of that time, Cat Stevens, uh, you know, Creedence, uh, Beatles, um, and, and a lot of Brazilian music, uh, which was a big influence in my life too. But really the journey with salsa was all thanks to me listening to uh, the first, uh, the first album from Santana that I ever heard, which interesting enough, I ended up now living, you know, in, in Santana's area and um, and some of the Santana musicians playing my band, awesome. uh, which was the album Abraxas. And that album was uh, an opening and I opened it to a lot of people who play percussion, especially in this area, uh, you know, with the evolution of Latin rock. And so that's what introduced me to or attract me to percussion. I was playing guitar and I was singing, uh, you know, Uruguayan songs and strumming and ballads and stuff like that. And, um, and trying to get songs in English. And 
So I listened to I listened to that album, Santana album, and it kind of kicked me off in the direction of uh, congas, and uh, so that that started my journey, and then my family moved to Argentina, and uh, in 1978 that you know excuse me 1974 we moved to Argentina, and I lived there for, until 1981, and then I relocated in in Europe in Amsterdam, and that's really where my career as a musician kind of took off. Okay. I've been in the United States since 1986. But, you know, my childhood, you asked me about my childhood. My childhood was great, man. I mean, I, I, I live, as I said, I live four blocks from the beach. You know, it, it would be, you know, summertime there. It starts in, you know, December, January and February. But already in November, we were with the kids of the block going to, uh, you know, to the beach and uh, in you know, playing a lot of soccer yeah. um, and drinking water from from the hose of the neighbor in the garden. Uh -huh. uh, no computers, no PlayStation. I mean, with all <laughs> with all due respect, because all generations have whatever it takes them off. Yeah. Right? Uh -huh. but, uh, you know, read a lot of books. Uh, had a lot of fun. I'm 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 59 years old, so you know, my generation. Different. I think it was a, a a great generation because. We play a lot. We play a lot with other kids in the in the block. It was very safe in my neighbor. So, you know, my mother would say, Okay, yeah, go out play. Make sure you come come back uh, when it gets dark. Okay, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I had it I had it easy. I mean it wasn't easy because Uruguay was in the middle of a dictatorship and a, a lot of political turmoil. So there were other aspects that also forged my um my yeah. writing, my writing right. of my songs, you know, I mean, okay. I was always very uh, um, influenced by Ruben Blades because of the political uh, lyrics that he he wrote for that era of Latin America, the 70s, where there was a lot of countries going under dictatorship. And uh, so that, yeah, that's about my childhood. I understand that. I'm very curious to know, man, um, I guess how... How important was, you know, I guess, music in your household, or I guess in your neighborhood? Well, in my household, uh, music was important, but it was more important, you know, in, in retrospect, when I think about it, you know, like, look, I, I, I came from a middle class family, right? But, and, it, and, and my parents were very down to earth. My, my father was a businessman, my mother, uh, uh, you know, a housewife. Um, but, you know, having a nice Philips stereo in your house was like uh -huh. a, a big thing, right? Right, it's a luxury, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, because, you know, maybe, maybe a, a lot of people were listening to radio or something like that. But if you, if you had a record player, you know, in the hood, you were, you were, you were hip, you know, you, you were yeah. the one who could provide the music for the party. So, although... As I said, my, my parents, in every birthday at some point, they would move the dining room table and said, okay, it's time to dance. And they would put some dance music, you know, some cumbia, some dance music from, you know, Uruguay or Brazil or American music. Um, my, my older brother was the one who was buying the albums, you know, and bringing them home. And I would listen, to, I, I don't think we had, we, we didn't have a huge collection 
But I think, you know, if, if, we, if I had 10 albums, I knew all 10 albums by, by heart. Every lick, every, you know, if it was Beatles, I would try to sing, you know. I didn't know the lyrics perfectly because my English wasn't as good as it is now. I've been, you know, I've been here for 33 years. But, but uh, you know, I would go, yesterday, Samajimemini, far away. I only had the first line and the last line. But I would sing... I was sing along. I was sing along with it. So, but as I said to you, when my brother brought that first Abraxas, that Abraxas album, uh, which is the you know the album that catapulted uh, Santana into Woodstock and the rest is history. I was playing, as I said to you, the guitar, but I would flip the guitar and kind of play on the back of the acoustic guitar oh. as if it was a percussion, right? Yeah. yeah. A high high note and a, and a low note there at the at the at the larger part. So I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, you know I would try to go along with Chepito Areas, who is the uncle of my timbalero now, who is Julio Areas. And uh, so life was in many ways uh, a, a full circle. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think my my parents or my brother knew that what they were doing unconsciously was uh, planting a seed that will grow in, in, in such a direction, right? I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. of and I dreamed to be, when I was a teenager, I dreamed to be a musician. Uh, and, you know, and, and I, you know, over the years, and with a lot of hard work, I accomplished, I accomplished that uh, twofold, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I I'm, so the music, but music in Uruguay is is uh, is very very powerful. It, it's like it's like in the Caribbean, you know. When it comes to Carnival, which is in in Uruguay is in February, um, there is a lot of concerts in the neighbors um, that are free concerts by the government. So every single time that there was one of those, it didn't matter if it was Latin rock or Uruguayan music or what it was. I would be there watching whoever was playing and saying, you know, one day I, I, I'll, I'll be up there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want, a, I want a toy truck. What? With Santa Claus. Oh, oh, hold on one second, Santa Claus. I got, hold right back. Uh, hey, if you could leave a like and subscribe for the show, that would be amazing. Uh, let's get back to the episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and so I'm curious, man. So you know, I guess you you grew up with this fascination for music since an early age. Uh, were you what was dancing a big thing in Uruguay? Were you big in dancing or not even? Well, yeah, I was, but you know, we were going, we were going, uh, uh, we were going out to the disco places. Okay, and the kids, you know, uh, the kids in my block, you know, it would, it would come Saturday, especially in summertime, and uh, we would actually walk it was quite a number of blocks i mean i, I can't tell you miles but to the to the closest disco club and it was 21 and over but we had a hookup with the guy at the door you know so that will let us go in because a lot of as i said the uruguay of the 70s was pretty loose you know i mean nobody okay. was card in you or anything you know basically the security guy would say yeah you guys can come in come and dance and enjoy yourself uh, but you know if you get drunk i kick you out you know? <laughs> how, how so, do you think you were that time i'm very curious 
I was. How old do you think you were when you were going to these discotecas? I was 14 years old, man. Yeah, you were young, man. Because I moved to Argentina when I was 15. Okay. And as I said, you know, my 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 parents would would uh, give me a lot of leadway and say, you know, here is the, you know, I, I had keys for my house. Um, they knew that, uh, you know, that I was a good kid, but I wasn't going to be doing a, you know, a whole bunch of things that were not cool. Well, I, at least they thought that I was. <laughs> but, you know, it was, this was pre-BGs, okay? Then there was BGs in Argentina, and there was uh, Saturday Night Fever, right? Uh, the movie, and uh, so, but it was, look, it was disco, Barry White, okay? Barry White, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that. That's the, those are those were the songs where you would try to get the girl a little closer. Uh huh. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and then there was, uh, you know, as I said, Brazilian music or Uruguayan music. But in essence, you know, for the salsa music in itself, although Uruguay would bring people like Celia Cruz to big concerts, uh, Fania All Stars played in Uruguay one time. But I was too too I was too small to go go to those concerts and okay. in fact I don't even remember I was not exposed to salsa music. My my exposure to salsa music was really a labor of love of myself uh -huh. and the conga, you know. Because once I real I, I started studying conga, then and I got my teachers. Um, when I, I got serious studying conga, when I already had moved to Argentina. And my first teacher, whose name is Ruben Sanchez, every single time I go to Argentina, I go visit him. He introduced me to Eddie Palmieri and a very specific, uh, important album for Palmieri, which is, was called The Sun of Latin Music, El Sol de la Musica Latina. And with Lalo Rodriguez at a very early 15 or 16 year old age singing as a teenager for him. And uh, a lot of great uh, musicians there, also to Ray Barreto and uh, Fania All Stars. And that was the teacher who loaned me the albums and said, okay, bring it back, no scratches, bring uh -huh. it back in, you know, in, in next week. And by that time, my father had already bought a dual cassette, um, you know, recorder with a phono player. Yeah, so, you know that was the beginning of uh, what would you call it bootlegging, yeah, bootlegging yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, so sure I would make I would make a cassette and return the CD, the, the excuse me, the the album to him. Right, right. And uh, so that's when I started listening to salsa and getting more into it. But at those in those on those days, and I believe also in the United States in many places. But in Uruguay and in Argentina, you will go to a record store, the largest record store in Buenos Aires, which is, a, you know, a, a many million people living there. And the entire Latin music section would be just one row in alphabetical order. Very, not, not so easy to get uh, this music, you know, to, mm. to get recordings. So you really had to, you really had to go there and search and, and figure out what it was there and buy and, you know, there would be somebody that you wouldn't know. And a lot of people were doing that, passing albums left and right and making cassette copies because that was the reality. Okay. Um, so, you know, in a sense, 
when I see people now, for instance, right, when I talk about Spotify and my music being in Spotify and in iTunes and being so and and and, and being so inexpensive for people to listen to my music. Right, right. I have to realize that I was doing that at my level of technology for my right, sure enough, sure just enough. as like the kids are doing it right now. So, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I approve of it now that I'm at the other end of it. Oh. But um, I mean, I, I gave plenty of support to Mr. Palmieri and all the artists that I ever uh, bootleg an album because you know, basically, I did something with it. I I, I, I use it as an education. Yeah. And, uh, and I studied those albums relentlessly. You know, I studied the singers, although I didn't think at that time that I was going to be a vocalist in salsa. I was more focused on percussion then. <clears throat> and, uh, but, you know, salsa, <clears throat> in, I'm not one of those Let's just assume that if you're born in general, if you're born in Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Cuba, maybe even in New York, if you come from a you know family in New York that listens to that music, maybe in the 70s there was a lot more of a chance to enjoy that. Um, that's an era of salsa music that I've, I would have loved to be able to live in New York at that time. Yeah, oh man, it's such a big scene back then, right? Exactly. Um, and interesting enough, in August 29th, I'm going to be doing a show at a very big place here called Frightened Savage. And uh, I, I labeled that show uh, Edgardo Cambon and Candela Presents uh, Tribute to the 70s, Tributo a los 70, where I'm going to be doing a repertoire exclusively of salsa of that era with rearrangements. But um, just to acknowledge, you know, something, uh, a particular way of playing and a particular way of grooving that is hard to find nowadays yeah okay i understand that man I, i'm very i'm very curious to hear it, man um you know i guess you know you growing up in uruguay and everything and you you know you moved to argentina i guess at what point or what age did you uh i guess did you start you know drumming or start taking drumming more seriously and everything well at uh <clears throat> at 15 I started studying with a particular teacher, which I mentioned before, Ruben Sanchez, who had been living in Paris. <clears throat> okay, let me just tell you that um, in Argentina, there was no formal education for Afro-Cuban music. You couldn't study congas anywhere unless you had a good private teacher. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went to the Conservatory of Buenos Aires as a teenager, and uh, I spoke with people. This is all on my own intention. My parents didn't push me there or something. Some, I, I, I did the investigation. I went nice. there. That's awesome. I, I, spoke with, I spoke with somebody and, and the person basing my interest and, and you know, my approach said, well, we can, give you, we can even give you a, a, what would you call it, a subscription or a, 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 we, we can get you, we can enroll you for free and all, all of that because of your background and what you want to do. But I want to let you know that the only percussion that we can teach you here is classical percussion, marimbas, vibraphone, xylophone. And we can also teach you the local folklore music percussion for Argentina, which is our instruments like bombo, leguero, which is the, 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 the large drum that they put around the, their neck that they, they play with hand and uh, with sticks. And, and that's for Argentine folklore, mainly in 6-8 metric you know, rhythms from Argentina. 
like Malambo, Chacarera, which it was music that I was very familiar with it. And I also wanted to study and I have studied a little bit, mainly over videos now, but no Afro-Cuban. So ah. I asked for the Afro-Cuban, for the Congas in particular, this particular person told me, look, for that, you need to go to the cumbia dances and ah. to the Latin dances, and you need to talk with the people who are playing it. you got to go direct to the source. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did that, and I had my first... Uh, is student, my first teacher who, you know, wasn't a great player, but he actually was the first one who taught me how to do an open tone, a slap and a bass on the drum. And the only rhythm he played during the whole night, which was <laughs> and as an exchange for that, my father had a little, my father had a business in Argentina at that time. And that was a leather clothes business. So, you know, my father, dealt with him and said, okay, I'm going to give you this bag, this nice leather bag for your lady, which color you want, uh, you know, brown, black, or this color. So that was the deal. He taught me that. And then I had to continue researching, looking for, you know, a, a teacher that would be more elaborated or, or, a yeah, more yeah. or a better teacher. And I found my first teacher, Ruen, who taught me, was the first one who taught me a little bit better, you know, how to play tumbao, the basic song rhythm, a little bit of Wawanko, Mozambique from Cuba, different rhythms. He already set me on, on my on my direction. And uh, when I turned 21, I figured out that uh, I had to move from Argentina to develop and to study that. So my older brother had already relocated to Gothenburg, Sweden. Let me just place you in a social time of Argentina where they were going through the problems of the disappearing people and uh, all, all the, the problem of the military coups and the, again, you know, still the turmoil of, uh, of the dictatorship and all that under the dictatorship of Videla, who was the dictator at that time. And, uh, and if he wasn't called a dictator at that time, that's what really was. Okay. And, uh, and Argentina falls in war with England uh, Great Britain for the Falkland Islands. That was that uh, infamous uh, war about that little island at the bottom of the Antarctic that had been taken by the British. That's a whole other political subject. Yeah, but, okay. So that ex accelerated my my intention to flip yeah, right, right. because it was getting too crazy, right? Uh, especially for younger generations. And um, so I left I left to Argentina. Um, you probably would think, well, how does a kid that is 21 years old or, or can, you know, can't afford to buy a, a, a plane ticket to Europe? But it was a combination of efforts because in 1978, Argentina is in the World Cup, soccer World Cup. And um, there was a lot of work for uh, teenagers in working in the facilities of, uh, you know, sports. And so I found a niche to, to make some money. Um, I had a little motorbike that I sold, and between one thing and another one, and a little bit of help from my parents, I managed to purchase my ticket. Nice. And uh, so once I was in Amsterdam, you know, my life actually took off in many different directions because let me remind you that I was 21 and I was living in Europe for the first time on my own. Yeah, on your own. That, yeah, you, I, you grown man. 
and I was only, uh, I mean, I, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I was with my family all this time until I was. Right, right, right. It's it's first time out. It said common denominator in South America that you live with your parents until pretty much you get married, right? I mean, that's the way. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, and that was the beginning for me. And then in, in Europe, I, I, I studied with a lot of great percussionists. This is what happened. When I got to Amsterdam, there were a lot of Puerto Ricans and Cubans. Um, maybe not a lot, maybe five, six bands. And I realized, my God, these guys can play my butt off you know I talented bet, man yeah I, I better get it together so i continue you know studying and investigating and asking people would you teach me and blah 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 and uh you know then uh and and that was about 1984 jose luis changuito quintana which is a internationally renowned percussionist went to teach at the conservatory of Hilversum, which is a city which is about an hour or so from Amsterdam. And uh, I started attending the classes as uh, as not being a part of the conservatory, but being a, a you know, like an external uh, student. And because of my command of English and Spanish, and they knew that I was a percussionist and I had the lingo, the school asked me to translate all the 10 days that he was right, teaching. That's awesome. Right. So I hook up with Changuito, and then I said, okay, well, I'm going to see you the next time in Cuba. And uh, and that's what happened. After that, I, I, I went to Cuba uh, seven times in total. I studied with many great maestros. And, um, and then there is the singing part of it. But uh, I don't know. I, I, need, I, I need to let you sneak a question. Otherwise... Yeah, I wanna I wanna ask you, man. So um I guess have you or or do you know at what point did you decide you wanted to be a musician? Is that something you had since a child or like you know, when did that when did that uh when did that come to you, I guess? Well when I <clears throat> when I when I arrived in Amsterdam, um I, I uh you know obviously I had to survive and I had to look for some uh odd odd jobs. I wouldn't call them odd jobs, great jobs actually. Um, you know, to to uh, be able to supplement my income as a musician as I was becoming, you know, because people were calling me already to play in bands. And uh, so, but, you know, the money wasn't so great and stuff like that. So I I, I, I got some uh, jobs. I remember I, I used to be a line cook in a restaurant. I used to, you know, do the prepping. And that was yeah. an ideal job for me because I could do that in the, early morning or you know something like that i had they could make my own hours and as far as you know the stuff was done uh, before they needed it to open for lunch so that was a job that allowed me to have some money and uh, and still go to bed at night very late so i did that for a little bit and then i started teaching myself already i started teaching percussion i was uh, taking oh. some lessons well, so so hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to make sure. I want to make sure you get my question. So, what, how old were you though when you decided to become a musician? When did that come about? Well, um, oh yeah, and I'm sorry, I got distracted. So the point, <laughs> no, the point, the point was that eventually the music was paying the bills. Okay, okay, paying. okay. So once the music was paying the bills, I had that sense of confidence that I okay, said, I you know. 
I can, I can do it. My decision to be a musician was kind of related to those dreams that I had as a little teenager that I told you early. But from there to the fact, you know, I mean, there is a reality for everybody because when I teach percussion here in my house now, there is a lot of people who have that dream, you know, especially the right, early right. So I tried to tell them my story and said, hey, you know, you keep on going at it and one day will happen. You'll, you'll figure it out. The only problem, I think, is that some, a lot of times, a lot of fears settle into you know, teenagers or early young, young kids that they said, I'm never going to be able to make it. You know, I'm never going to be able to have a family. I'm never going to be able to. There is so much. So, look, I'm, I'm 59 years old and I've been, you know, make, making my living as a musician for a long, long, long time. A lot of, a lot of people ain't doing that, man. And still, if I go to a party or something like that and somebody asks me, hey, what you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a musician. And, you know, they, they kind of look at me like saying, what, what else do you do? Ah, right, right. Politely say, and it's music your only source of income. And then I say, yeah, it's my source of income. And it's been for 33 years. You know, you can ask the IRS. My passport says, (laughs) my passport says musician. I don't do anything else. Because people, you know, they just think, you know, the musician, you know, plays for beers and and the dinner and maybe the tip jar. Yes, that's a a struggling artist, right? I've done that too, you know. But, um, it, it is possible. It is possible to to make a su- sustainable living and and be successful at, at, uh, at what yeah. you do. I'm not going to say to you that uh, there is. In other words, if you really want to be rich, you better dedicate to something else because this okay. is a labor of love. Okay. But if you do it and you do it and you keep on studying and, you know, you sh- uh, as I said, you know, Dress up, show up in time, have your act together, do your job, and people are going to call you back. It's that simple. And and if you treat it like a hobby, it will always be a hobby, which is okay, which is okay. But if you take the professional approach of of being a musician, uh, the results will come in the same way. You know, people are going to treat you like a professional. Uh, The level of work is going to increase. And the quality of work is yeah. and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I I tell you, people said to me, how how do you, you know, how do you feel when you look at maybe December and it's you know maybe it's July and you look at December and you only have, you know, uh, three gigs booked in December. You learn how to bypass that fear because you know that stuff is going to happen it's going to get close it's not a a a job that you have a security net underneath you need to learn how to live that way but you know if you're intelligent and let's just say you put 80 percent in the bank and 20 percent into a savings account you always have a little bit something in there for the for the harsh times because they are right there will be a month where you just say hey i you know basing my income this month i you know, I can't pay all my bills. So that's when you pull out a little bit of what you were saving because it's, uh, it's prone to happen. That, yeah. uh, there will be, it's, it's the life of a self-employed people, you know I mean? That's, okay, that's right, 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 yeah. That's for the music. I wanna, let me ask you this real quick, man. Um, you know, I guess going, going back to, I guess, you know, um, 
when you're becoming, you know, a full-time musician, um, what, what kept you going, you know, your love for, you said this isn't, you know, if you want to be rich, this isn't, this isn't the ideal thing for it. You know, I guess what kept you going with, you know, with your music journey, staying with it and, and more so like, you know, how, um, how can maybe you give advice to someone else who wants to become a full-time musician like you, but is, but has that fear of not the safety net, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what kept me going. Music kept me going. Um, the, 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 the love for music, the love for music has to be authentic. Um, I am not going to say to you that all the gigs that I do have the same level of intensity or attraction to me. Sometimes I have to wear a tuxedo and go and play maybe in a corporate party where nobody's paying attention to you. But, okay. you know but the thing is this though, when you have commitment to the art of music, when you count four, it's the church. You are, you know, in your realm and it doesn't really matter what's your environment. I remember, you know, some of my professional teachers used to say, it doesn't matter if it's Madison Square Garden or you're playing for 15 people. You know, when you put your hand in your instrument and you're singing, and you're playing, you got to put your heart behind it, even if it's just the slowest ballad and the background music or whatever it is. Because if you, because the business is harsh, and if you don't have fun in the act of doing it, you're not okay. Right, so right, what, right. What I advise to the, what I advise to the newcomers is to focus in the art of music rather than focus in the financial resorts results and all that that's gonna come by itself um you know sooner or later and uh but um you know as i said it's not it's not very easy um you know it's it's very competitive um and there are upside downs i mean i'm not a new yorker right but i go there often or i try to go there and um it's interesting that right now, for instance, a lot of musicians from New York City are moving into the Bay Area and moving into Los Angeles, etc., because it seems to be a, a, a much more active scene. And I'm talking about New York, where Big, it was one yeah. of the Americas. Exactly. Now, it's, still, it's still an amazing place to live and to go play music. But the musicians say, hey, man, you know, the gigs are scarce and, you know, and whatever reggaeton is taking over and this is taking over and when it comes to Afro-Cuban music, right? Um, and these may be people who, who play with, uh, you know, great bands, international bands, that when they go to Europe and when they go to South America, etc., they make very good money. But when they come back to New York, maybe six months to be in the drought. And so I always say to myself, um, Look at the elders, look at the things that uh, read the interviews of Mr. Ernesto Tito Puente and see the struggle that they also had, even in spite of being super famous. So it's not going to be an easy job. Don't go in this expecting that it's going to be an easy career. But as I said, if you focus on the reason why initially you did it, what was that little voice? that said to you when you listen to your first, let's just say that he's a contemporary guy, right? And it's the first album of Mark Anthony that the person listened to, or Victor Manuel, or when they heard uh, Joe Arroyo singing La Rebellion for the first time, 
maybe maybe they had a little girlfriend that taught him how to dance and they got involved <laughs> in music. Whatever it was that fired that initially, go back to that emotion. Because when you let all the other crap get in the middle, then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes a nine to five job, which is not a problem. I mean, right, right, right. But are you going to be able to sustain a career if you're not happy with it? That's so true, man. I, I want to ask you this, man. I feel like um, and I I could definitely be mistaken, but um, is is the key to becoming you know a full time musician? Is it just consistency? You know, just staying doing it? Because is it can anyone become a full time musician as long as they do it, or is there something else that is it? Do you have do you have more skill maybe than someone else? Do you have more love than someone else, or is it just that you stuck with it longer than someone else? Is that what it is that separates you from other people? Well, look, if you're a terrible player, you're going to be a terrible player for a long time, unless you study a lot. So, of course, there is talent involved. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it is it is a, uh, it is a skill, so you need to accomplish that skill. Um, and you know, there is a little bit of a phenomenon now it's in the Bay Area quite a bit, but also in other places, which is what I call uh, instant salsa band. Just add water, you know. Mm. It, so, what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, you know, um, there, there, there are people who, you know, wanted to do this professionally, but, you know, of course, they, 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 I have to confess to you that I don't have kids i had two marriages and very happy marriages but they came to an end and uh so i don't have a family so when you have other responsibilities involving of course you're going to raise up a question mark because of course you're a respons responsible parent so my situation was different in that sense but what i want to say to you is that maybe you spend a whole life doing it another job and then you know it you're semi-retired, and then you say, okay, now I'm going to accomplish my goal, something that I really dreamt of. But the skills are not really up to part, but you just pick up a few, you know, mm. you pick up a few classes, and, and you, you know, you, you get as, as good as you can. You get in the internet now, you buy charts for music, etc. You tell your body who sings a little bit, boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, you're in front of a screen, you take a nice shot, and you got a salsa band. Oh, enough. Um, and so before I fall in the trap of sounding like I'm exercising criticism on people who are not professional, uh, I just want to say that uh, I think that is a part of what is necessary and it's a part of what it breeds the love for this music. So my comment is not intended to criticize those who pursue their dreams but what it does create is a breeding ground for people who go out there because all of a sudden they want to gig i managed to do this and i want to gig so i'm gonna go there and i'm just gonna i'm gonna say it in one sentence i'm gonna keep the prices in 1978 prices because i'm gonna go out there with a machete okay. cutting axes and saying yeah i work for any money yeah and in a breeding ground that is like that, it makes a market favorable to the promoters 
or the club owners. It, the cheapest person, they right? Have, they have their own interest. Right. So what I'm trying to come to is that the difference in between some cities in the United States and what it is in general in the Caribbean, especially in Cuba, where I've been seven times, met seven times, and also been in Puerto Rico and other countries, is that there is somewhat of a quality control, and the quality control comes from the audience. If you don't kick butt and you don't sing in tune or this or that, they're right. gonna pull you. They're gonna throw shoes at you. Right. So is that is that what you're saying? Is um, you know. Like the cream rises to the top, you know, the truly great artists will be known and will stay in the scene, right? Yes. Uh, so I guess your question was. Um, I mean, you answered. That was fine. You answered. Yeah, I understand. It, 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 there is talent level, definitely, of course. There is talent level that is needed. Uh, you need to have the basic. There is talent level. There is a, there, there needs to be a, a and, and being a band leader is 10 times more of a labor of love. Because, you know, bands are formed of human beings which have personalities. And yeah. you're in that, you need to be handling that. And you need to find that balance in between, um, you know, treating your musicians with great respect as an adult. But at the same time, they are like your kids. You want to give them the best <laughs> right. or the best game. Right. Uh, you start catering and juggling balls with the ones that have talent but they're never available and the uh. ones who don't have talent, but they're willing to play with you all the time. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's believe not it. easy. Cause it's like, you're the band leader. So um, all the problems come to you, right? Or what? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a responsible band leader, now there are cooperative bands. There are bands that work in a okay. different way. Sometimes right. three people are the band leaders and there is more to spread. Um, I went through that um, experience and frankly, in my opinion, I think it may work for the Rolling Stones because, you know, millionaires and, and, and they used to go to therapy together. Uh, and I'm sure they have their share of problems because, and, you know, I, at this point of my life, I have a lot of acquaintances in the music business in the Bay Area who work with me but I don't necessarily consider them my friends. Mm -hmm. They are good professional musicians who I respect a lot and they come and they play with me and I play with them and we share a very professional work relationship. But, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're my buddies and I'm gonna cross that bridge and request from them maybe to do things for me that I, that I don't consider that they are respectful professionally, whether it's financially or musically or artistically, etc. So when you're a professional, you are going to demand that from your musicians. The basics, show up in time, put the set list together. Don't try to pick up on the sister of the bride of the wedding. Uh, you know, all the, you know, it's like being professional, having yeah, being professional with it, right? Correct, correct. But believe me, I mean, there are amazing I believe fun it. stuff. I don't, I wouldn't change my life for any life. I, I'm living my dream. Hey, I, man, I that's awesome. That. And that's what I try to tell the students that come with an innocent, open mind. 
You know, you know what? A lot of students that come to me to take conga lessons, they said to me, Edgardo, what is the best advice that you can give me for a conga uh, player to make a living and become a professional? And you know what I tell them? I tell Please them, tell learn, how to, learn how to sing. Oh, okay. Um, I, because if you play and you can sing a chorus or refrain and be in tune, you're going to be doing the job of two people and the band leaders. Can yeah, like right. Can say, oh, this guy can sing coro. Let's hire him. Yeah. So, so yeah, being, being um, multifaceted, you know, being multi-talented, right? Correct. And branch out. You play with a pop band, you play with a reggae band, you play with this, you play with that. You cannot be in a cocoon and right. Because you, you get you gather you gather experience from all those experiences. You gather you know information, help or yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to. And there is a lot of amazing, talented teenagers. That's of what. Of course, really... man. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I want to, I want to kind of get off subject real quick, man. Or still yeah. off subject. I want to hear. Um, tell me about you know your seven trips to Cuba. You know, what did you learn there that that maybe you might not have been able to learn somewhere else? Wow, what a great question. Well, you know what, Terrence, you need to go to the sources and. And you need to experience the people, the community, eat the food. I sure know, yeah. With the people. Right, and, right. And get the feeling that you see there when people are playing and, uh, and, and the responses from the audiences. The question you, you, you gave me, it, it's a very good question because in 1989, I, I went there, I went to Cuba for the first time. Uh, I was already a professional musician for many years, and um, and I wanted to see what it was, you know, what it was about. And I already, as I said to you before, I already had that hookup with Changuito. I wanted to study with him and go there for that. Um, I'm I'm also um, religiously involved with the Santeria religion, and I I also had that my spiritual path being initiated in Cuba, and. Uh, and so Cuba changed me in many, 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 many ways. But musically speaking, um, this could be related to that connection that I told you of loving the music. And, and, and that love gets communicated with the audience and the audience is reflected right onto you. Okay. People are into the music that is being played. You can see a quartet playing in a little restaurant in Cuba and people are listening and clapping and there's going to be somebody getting up and dancing and they do maybe El Cuarto de Tula, something, something super popular or, or in, you know, in between the tables, people are going to get up and dance. Music is a part of the Cuban life everywhere. And I'm not okay. saying that's not happening in Puerto Rico because I also saw it. Uh, but Puerto Rico has a different connotations of being United States of America in many right, ways. right, 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 right. Um, so, and I'm sure in Venezuela and Colombia, which I haven't been in those two countries, there is a lot of salsa in Uruguay right now, and a lot of salsa in Argentina, um, which I get a chance to tap into that when I go to South America and set in with bands, and they play my music on the radio and stuff like that. But 
regarding Cuba in particular, Cuba is the Mecca, man. I mean, rumba and son, which are the essential rhythms of salsa, salsa music. Right, right. right. Those are Cuban rhythms. Right, exactly. Um, song. That's what comes with song. Yeah. But, I mean, of course, um, these rhythms spread to all over the place. Um, but I refrain to Mr. Ernesto Tito Puente, may he rest in peace, when he, right. in, one of his interviews, in one of his interviews, he said, my name is Tito Puente, I, I'm a percussion, I'm a timbalero, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I play Cuban music. And for him to say that, it was a little bit of, uh, um, you know, controversial because there was always was that, that uh, sort of like uh, um, healthy rivalry between Puerto Rico and Cuba and, and New Ricans and the terminology salsa, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are entire publications, books, ethnomusicology books about that alone. But the bottom line is that the rhythms come from Cuba. Unless you're playing bomba, plena, um, merengue, bachata, those rhythms don't come from Cuba. But um, when it comes to the foundation rhythms that we play in Congas, Timbales, Bongo, that's Cuban music and that's undeniable. So when I started going there, when I came back, I went right into the studio to record my first album because nice. what, what it was amazing for me to see was that although there are people playing in small restaurants, in places like that, playing traditional music, every salsa or Cuban band, I mean, I can use the terminology salsa lightly, they had their own sound and their own originality. And their own musicians. In Cuba, music is taken in a very different way. Okay? Um, so what means is that everybody has their own sound and their own originality. So you, you, the, the most popular bands are not necessarily the ones that are playing the most tunes that are being played on the radio by creating ah, somebody else. Right, right. A, a foundation on originality. So when I came back here, I said, well, what's going to be the, trade, the, 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 the trademark for my band, for Candela? Am I going to be playing covers for the rest of my life? Or So I started recording. Um, and as I said that, I want to say that right now my band consists of about 50% covers and 50% original music. But I choose my covers very selectively. I don't go out there and put my band playing the latest uh, hit because right. it won a Grammy. Right, exactly. I understand I, that. Uh, you, you know, I'm going to say to you as a joke, you know the hit Despacito, right? Definitely. Everyone well, knows that one, man. I, 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 I made the version of it and I, call, and I changed the lyrics and I call it Dos Taquitos. Taquito. Dos Taquitos. <laughs> so, and people crack up like crazy so they say well you play despacito i don't do this in big concerts right but when i'm playing in weddings stuff like that um if they're latinos i play that that song with it with it adapted lyrics uh-huh uh-huh and right so i'll do it as a joke right but i i'm i'm i, I have fun with it and, and that's like that's like it's, it's kind of original to you you know that's, that's your kind of remix cover of it so i understand that well i wouldn't take i wouldn't take uh the other thing that I would never do is to take a song 
um, for instance, by Mark Anthony and sing it, sing the lyrics, the verses, as the version. But once you get to the pregones or the soneo section, if you're a vocalist, you have to put your own expression there. So make it your own. Yeah. So that's that's the other topic. Is that there is whatever it works. I mean, there 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 are, there are bands who who are who make a very good living just doing covers, and you know, and and that's a phenomena that also developed in the United States more with the salsa congresses oh. and, you know, with the population of the the concept i remember in new york city 20 years ago people were complaining about the development of the dj concept and they said well you know there is such a competition now they hire a dj for 500 bucks instead of you know but all, all that is unavoidable you can't you got to keep on swimming in the water you can't just you know you can't focus on that right right it, that's gonna happen. Yeah, that's so, just competition, right? That's that's or no. Well, that's super fierce, fierce competition. Now we're not only competing with other salsa bands, but we're also competing with DJs. We just and, put the record on. And with all due respect, because salsa congresses and these big, large events of salsa have exposed a lot of newer generations through way of the dance. Thank God for the dance. Otherwise, yeah. this music wouldn't have survived. Yeah, I've, I've, I, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, true. But at the same time, there are, in general, crowds that are more detached with the artist that is on the stage because they are more focused on what's going on with them. And the dancing, right? And in fact, I've seen salsa congresses and I've been in them playing where. There are spots on the dance floor and no no spots on the band. Mm. There are light spots. You know, like uh, like feature spots where dancers I don't have any issue with that. I really don't. Wait, wait, but, so hold on. Let me understand you you mean um there's not a lot of people dancing? Is that what you mean or what? No, what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that in New York City Again, and I go back to previous examples, and I go back to Cuba and also Puerto Rico. Certain cultures, the first four or five lines right in front of the stage are people standing, listening to the band. Oh, okay, okay. And then on the back, you know, there is the dancers. But uh -huh. how about the concept of clapping when the song is over? Okay, <laughs> you know enough. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. so sometimes you play for certain crowds that are, they, came into salsa music by way of the DJs, by way of the dance instructors, and not all necessary dance instructors taught their students to acknowledge the band when the band oh, is over. Okay. So there is a detachment with the music of salsa, and it becomes more of a vehicle for them to do their choreography and their I dance. I get you. Okay. Now I understand, you understand that. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've seen that as well, though. I, I, I've seen, I've been to conferences and experienced the same thing. So, um, I really don't want to sound critical in this interview because it, it's not my intention. There is nothing that I like more than coming into a club and seeing a hundred people with a dance instructor and a DJ waiting for me to play. But there is a 12-fold situation. There is two sides of that coin that sometimes those audiences 
if they didn't go there specifically to see you play, then, you know, they, you know, sometimes, as I said, you know, we finished a song. We, we know we killed it. The <laughs> just did a blasting solo. And then you finish the song and you hear just two people going. And then you hear. You, I mean, you, you want to you wanna feel appreciated, right? And uh, of course. Well, it's not, it's not to feed my ego. It's just to understand that for them to understand that that's the fire that ignites. Okay. Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a relationship, right? You, you yeah. feed off the crowd and the crowd feeds off you. Exactly. And, and you know, if, if we give them and they give back, right. it's that feeling. That, you, you know, you, you go, well, you know, basically you just want to say these people are listening. I understand that. I understand that. You're right. And, and and at the same time, I've talked to I've talked about this about promoters, uh, with promoters and dance instructors, you know, and 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 even dancers, and and you know, they they confirmed to me, don't think they're not listening. It's just that they haven't been educated that way, but they are enjoying yeah, the music. So right. I, as I said, I don't take it personal, but. You asked me early what was the difference with Cuba, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Colombia, and you know it's that connection. Right. The the the, the dance, the Afro-Cuban dance, the salsa. When we play in a club, it's it takes there's so many layers that create that phenomena that is that particular time and day in which we are getting together. It's very important. It's very important for the musicians. It's very important and unique to the dancers. Mm. I'm going to get a little philosophical with you, but you know how many times I heard, hey, so-and-so, you remember that dancer, blah, blah, blah? He, he left from Space 550, and, you know, he got in a crash in, 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 in Highway 580. So for me, it's very important to connect with the moment when I'm playing and when I'm Impressive. connecting. And the audience too be present because it is church, you know. Is is <laughs> is the lady is the lady beating the tambourine in gospel? It's church yeah. in a dance way. It creates okay. an energy and a groove, and it's supposed to be irresistible. People are supposed to go, "Wow, you know, this is so great!" Right? Um, so that's the reason why I like that connection with the audience. And if it's, if it ain't pressed, well, I, I want to say this, man. I'm gonna ask you this, man. Before this conversation, um, you know, I've I've been to plenty of dance classes, salsa classes, man, and uh, that's something that I've never been educated on. You know, trying to, I guess, maybe respect the band, give them appreciation, or you know, feed into that. I've, I've never been, I've never even thought about that. I've never been told that. Um. I just want to say that, you know, but I definitely understand that being, it sounds like, you know, maybe being more compassionate, maybe being more empathetic towards the situation, being more in the moment. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I, you cannot, you cannot give what it hasn't been given to you. So let's just say that your dance instructor was in his early 20s, uh, is a good dancer, uh, maybe was already a part of a Salsa Congress uh, dance troupe. And you know has a lot of moves, etc. Has the stamina, and he's a good teacher. But if if he hadn't, if he himself hadn't made that connection with the music and.